0: Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.MaconMessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message.
1: Shabbat Shalom, guys. Um, so Rabbi Damien's been in, um, doing this series on, um, basically Yeshua and the sacrificial system. We call it a a better covenant, right? We've done, we did about four weeks of, um, just dealing with the sacrifices and giving background on that. We've done the last two weeks on the book of Hebrews, introducing us to the book of Hebrews all over again, getting a reintroduction to the book of Hebrews. We did the, um, the who, basically, of Hebrews, uh, trying to figure out where this came from and so forth. And then we did the why of the book of Hebrews. What's the purpose? Why was it written? And all of this is tied back because we want to talk about this whole thing about the new covenant. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm sort of breaking out of this, of course, so Rabbi can, can deal with that. But I'm going to tie it into that, because <clears throat> as followers of Yeshua 2,000 years later, we are connected into this thing called the New Covenant, okay? And um, there's, there's issues of the fullness of the covenant not being fully here right now, but we know that Yeshua inaugurated it, it began... It is um, in the process of developing throughout the, the world, okay? And it should be implanted within us. And so I'm going to start a little odd. I'm going to also tie this into the—it's going to be mainly about the Torah portion this week. But I'm going to start at an odd place. It's going to seem like it's a little weird, but I'm going to start in 1 Samuel 25. Can you turn me down just a tiny bit? i am get a little bit of a feedback. And so 1 Samuel chapter 25. This is a story of a of a, a man you may have heard of. His name is Nabal. That's usually how it's pronounced. It's in Hebrew, it's Nabal. And it is uh Nabal. Nabal. And this this guy, um, we we actually are more familiar with his wife, probably, than we are him. His wife was Abigail. Okay? So David and his men, they're, they're running from Saul and so forth, and they're, they're tired, they're hungry, they're worn out, they are um, just trying to make it, okay? They're out in the wilderness, and they come across uh, the shepherds of Nabal, and they're, they're with them, they're sort of acting like they're bodyguards and, and things like that, they're staying with them, make sure nobody protects the flocks and, and everything, and then being kind to them and, and stuff. And then they're, they're, it's time for them to move on. They're, they're going through Nabal's territory. And they sent a request for Nabal to provide them food and water for the journey and some supplies. <clears throat> and uh, they, said, they sent a message. Hey, we've been with your shepherds for these last whatever how long it was. And we've been kind to them. We've treated them well. We've protected them and, and all that kind of stuff. Nothing has gone missing from, from your Flocks and, and all that, and we need some provisions to get us on our way. And uh, can you help us? And um, so the messenger comes to Nabal, and Nabal's like, David, who's who is this David guy? Who does he think he is? Right? He just says, "Am, eh, get out of my hair! Don't bother me." He he shooes him away, wipes him off. David blows a gasket. So he, he says, "This guy is dead." and everybody in his house. I'm going to go, and I'm going to kill him. And so he's on his way. His, uh, Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears about it. She's like, bad deal, bad deal, not a good thing. And so <clears throat> she goes and gets provisions. She gets a ton of food and supplies and everything, skins of water and <clears throat> dried fruit and all this kind of stuff and, and, and meat. And she runs to meet David and his men out you know, out uh, in the path before he ever gets to Nabal and his household. <clears throat> she apologizes profusely on behalf of her husband and says, uh, one of the things that she says is that um, her husband is not the greatest guy, okay? And she wants to make things right on his, his behalf so that nothing, no harm comes to his household. And this is her, her words In 1 Samuel 25, 25, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, this worthless fellow, that's what she calls her husband, Nabal. Wives don't get any ideas. Uh, (laughs) I resemble that remark, is that what you said? Let not my Lord uh, regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Okay? So what does this story have to do with our Torah portion? What does this story have to do with anything? Right? Um, Our portion in this week's Torah portion, if you study it out, it begins with the command, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, Am holy. This is Leviticus nineteen and verse two. Now, I'll give I'll give you something to um, think about. This is this is sort of weird, but three years ago to this date, I had just been at this syn- synagogue um, a month, a little over a month. This Torah portion came up. Rabbi could not be at service, and he he he. After he said well, I'm not going to have you teach for a good while because, you know, you need to eat anything. People need to get to know you and we need to take this slow and all that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. A month after I'm here, he says, um, I need you to fill in. <laughs> and so I taught this exact Torah portion. This is the first, very first time I taught at Nahum Ami. And so this is sort of special to me. And this passage that it begins with is the um, premier focal point of this Parsha, okay? It is called Kedoshim. Kedoshim means holy. And it's the instructions for us to be a holy people. And this passage, the verse two right here in this passage, um, there's a commentary by Nachmanides, okay? Uh, He's also known as the Ramban, not to be confused with the Ramban, but Ramban. Um, <clears throat> he has a commentary that, that's famous, and you probably have heard this. And he says in this long commentary on this verse about being holy, God's instruction to be holy, he says that it is possible to be disgusting with the permission of Torah. Weird, huh? It is possible to be disgusting with the permission of Torah. Now, that word disgusting can be translated various different ways, but guess what that word is in Hebrew? Naval. Okay? Naval. This is the same word. This is what he was named. This is what Abigail's husband was named. Naval. It has various <clears throat> meanings in English. We can interpret it different ways. <clears throat> it's basically, though, a fool. Basically, a fool. It's someone who's disgusting, impious, ungodly, wicked. In short, it's simply somebody who's a jerk, okay? If you want to think about it that way. It's somebody that's a jerk, and no names, please. (laughs) Naval is Abigail's husband's name. Now, if you remember the end of the story, because of his actions against David, that he would not help him, 10 days later, he drops dead. And then what does David do? He sends for Abigail to be his wife. Because, like, this is a virtuous woman. Her husband is dead. I didn't have anything to do with it. Hashem took vengeance on my behalf. And now I will get the spoils. And so, <clears throat> Naval, yeah, uh-huh, uh the booty, no pun intended there. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, <laughs> Naval definitely lived up to his name. He was a mean-spirited, hot-tempered man, and eventually it cost him his life. So let's, let's ask the question about this thing with <coughs> Nachmanides. I mean, Roger, I mean, you were just like, whoa, what in the world is that all about, right? I mean, that, that should be our response. Okay? Uh, What does it mean to be a Naval with permission of the Torah? How can the Torah even allow this, right? Okay, but, but Nachmanides is saying that one can follow the most literal instructions of the Torah to a T and still be a despicable human being. Why? Because the Torah can only give boundaries. In things like integrity, fairness, kindness, respect, wholesome speech, etc., it doesn't have the ability to legislate character. Okay? It can give guidelines, it can tell you what to do and what not to do, but it's up to you to, to develop character. This is why the Mishnah and the Talmud work to define what it means for X. Okay? Things like: what does it mean to be respectful? To honor your parents, to be equitable, to be honest, to have fair business dealings, and so forth. Okay, the 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 mission and the Talmud work together to try to put create parameters because I mean it's like our legal system. It's like how do you know a fair business dealing? You know how do you know if a person has done right dealings, or how do you know if this has been fulfilled or whatever? That's why we have lawyers that have written volumes and volumes and volumes and added to the code of things. We're trying to keep people from creating loopholes to get out of their obligations, right? I mean, we're humans. We will find a loophole to get out of doing what we know is right and what we should know uh, what we should be doing. This parasha also begins with something interesting. Before it even gives the instruction to be holy, um, it starts by saying, um, Hashem gives Moses the instructions that he is to speak to all of the congregation of the people of Israel. Now, usually it says, speak to the children of Israel or speak to the, all, all the people or speak to the congregation. In this, in this phrase... As far as I know, to my knowledge, it's the only place in the Torah that has all of these different qualifiers that are all together. Speak to the congregation of the children of Israel or the people of Israel. All of these together here. And this is trying, from, from my understanding and the, what I've, I've read and researched, this is a qualifier saying that basically everything up to this point, it, especially in the book of Leviticus, has been either for the priests or it's been something more of a broad category that uh, when Moses would, would bring the people together, it was sort of a, a, an optional type thing where he would, he would say, hey, there's an assembly gonna happen. I'm gonna teach you what the Lord has taught me. People could come, people could not come. They could get the information later. They could, other people could transmit the information. But in this specific instance, he said, attendance is mandatory. Attendance is mandatory. And why? Why is attendance mandatory when he begins speaking these particular laws? Because these laws teach us what it means to live up to being the people of God that he has called us to be. It is the instruction, it is the the portion of these instructions that teach us what it means to be holy. Holy. If you read through the instructions in this Torah portion, you're like, you know, that's, there's good stuff in here. But how is it so much different than what we've been given already? I mean, we've been given a lot of stuff up to this point, you know. Uh, there's a lot of, of commandments, a lot of instructions, and things like that. And what is so different about this Torah portion? Well, one of the things that's different about this Torah portion is that after every either verse, Or, set of instructions, it's punctuated with a particular phrase. Anybody know what that phrase is? Ani Hashem, I am the Lord. Okay? What's up with that? Why does he have to repeat this over and over again that I am the Lord? I mean, we know that. You know? It's like, who else is talking? So why do we have to repeat this? Why do we have to hear this over and over again after each instruction or each set of instructions? Well, one rabbi that I was listening to talked about how he believes that this is tied back to our mission, our purpose. It's tied back not only to the Exodus, but it's also tied back to this very first phrase that we began with. You shall be holy because I am holy right? And so he says, don't do this. I am the Lord. Do this. I am the Lord. Okay? So after every phrase, he says, I'm the Lord. And it's a reason, the reason is because he wants us to be like him. In order to do that, we have to remember who he is, that he is a holy God. And therefore, that reminds us that we should be a holy God people. These instructions include things like taking care of the poor, honest business dealings, impartiality in court, not bearing grudges, honoring parents and elders, not giving in to temptations to look and act like the people around us. This is a short list of things intended to make Israel stand out as a holy nation consecrated to God the lord but there's a problem i've already mentioned we cannot legislate holiness per se and good character we can give boundaries we can give parameters but we it only goes so far this phrase ani hashem i am the lord is punctuated 18 times within this parsha i mean within this section here what yeah in this parsha 18, if you remember, in the Hebrew is Yod Chet. And if you read it backwards, it says Chai, life. And so the the commandments are for life, right? It says do this and you will live. So it is our calling to live lives that reflect our Father's identity and character. Let me reemphasize that. You guys know it but it's a good reminder. It's our calling to live lives that represent our Father's identity and His character. So, let me, let me just throw something at you here. Honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to face the facts that sometimes communal living is difficult. We have a great congregation, we have a great community, <clears throat> but sometimes things are difficult. Although community can help you in many ways, sometimes the complications of communal life weigh on us. And it causes us to have interactions and friction and things of that nature. We have to make compromises for the sake of community. In many ways, it's much easier to live a life of holiness by yourself. And this is why in Catholicism, you have the monks and the nuns, right? Because it's easy to do that. You just hold yourself up, pigeonhole yourself up, and you go out and you just do your thing. You don't have to worry about other people. You don't have to worry about if somebody makes you mad, then you have to make things right, or, or this happens, or this happens. You don't have to worry about all those type of things, okay? It's, sometimes it, uh, we might feel that it would be easier to be a holy hermit than a communal participant. But that's precisely the point of this opening statement of communal life being difficult. Many of the Torah's commandments can only be lived out in community. Did you know that? Most of them. Although the command to be holy extends to the individual level, it was given to the entire congregation of the children of Israel. The only way for the entire people to live up to this is that if we live up to this individually, right? We all have to do our part. I find it fascinating that um, during these uh, seven weeks from Pesach to Shavuot, we traditionally study a... uh, a a rabbinic text on ethics and um, character and wisdom and things like that called Pirkei Avot, okay? Uh, Chapters of the Father, literally, Wisdom of the Fathers and Ethics of the Fathers, you may have heard it called, and that this parsha falls within that when we are already studying things like wisdom and ethics and how to live a righteous life and things like that, and this falls right in the middle of that, So it's like we already have our brains tuned in and we have this antenna that's up and we're able to receive this special message, what we're hearing, okay? Living a holy life is all about how we treat others. So I wanna ask the question that we need to be asking ourselves every day, how does our life communicate to others about the God we serve? Okay, how does your life communicate to others about the God you serve? There is a. Uh, this is quite quite humorous. There is a uh, <clears throat> a band. It's a Christian <clears throat> band that <clears throat> I uh, have grown up listening to, and they have a um, a, a, s- a s- satirical album that is um, a spoof of the whole. Evangelical telethon type, type thing where they would be on t- television for hours and hours, or radio for hours and hours and hours, raising tons and tons of money, and, and then you know they they would get caught red-handed doing wrong things and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, <clears throat> um, here's a little snippet from this that's pretty funny, but it's, it, you'll see why I'm I'm doing this. Um, the the uh, MC of this event saying, "Okay, friends, let's take a break." And let's go to our fruit-o-ministry tote board and check our total. The way the tote board works is this. We count up the number of souls that have been saved by this ministry, and then we subtract the numbers of souls that have had their hearts permanently hardened to the gospel by this ministry. And that produces the fruit-o-ministry total. Okay? And the drum roll. And then, (laughs) exactly, it says, soul saved, 11. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hearts that have been irrevocably hardened, 153 million. <laughs> people, we have negative fruit. <laughs> okay? And so this, this is uh, it's funny, but unfortunately that happens all the time. We have people that um, have a big ichthus, have a big fish, on the back of their car and nearly run you off the road. We have people that, that have a ichthus on their um, business sign or business card and rob you blind. And, and just different things that are, that are dealing with ethical problems that we're putting the name of Hashem on and saying, we are a disciple of Yeshua and we give him a black eye by doing that, okay? Our witness can either draw people to Torah and Yeshua or it can repulse them. It can repulse them. So I'm gonna quickly get into my the, the bulk of this here real quick. Um, and so let me preface this by saying we have an amazing congregation. I'm gonna emphasize that several times throughout this. We have an amazing, amazing congregation and I'm not saying we have these problems here, but I am saying <clears throat> that we need to continue to let our sensitivity be on high alert so that we don't slip into those things, okay? We have to be people of integrity. We have to be people that the outside world, other congregations, and so forth, to look at us and see that we are a cut above, that we are shining true light and not a light that's being filtered by our own agendas, okay? Okay? As messianics, we are fighting a battle on two fronts we're fighting on the one front to defend the Torah and say that it still applies today okay that's our first front. The other front is we're fighting to defend Yeshua as the Messiah of Israel, okay basically, without you know pointing fingers, this is sort of we get we got one over here on the Christian front and one on the Jewish front, right and we're in this DMZ zone right in the middle where the bombs are going from either direction because we uphold, just like Revelation tells us, we are the ones who are, are holding to the testimony of Yeshua and to the commandments, okay? In order to counteract the problem that Nachmanides described that I related to earlier and defend both of these fronts, we have to do two things. One, we have to live a life that actually shows that the Torah is still valid and not just talk about it. In other words, we have to do the commandments we say are still applicable. And number two, we have to go beyond the letter of the law. What does that mean? Let me explain. The concept of going beyond the letter of the law is called Lifnim Mishrat Hadin. Lifnim Mishrat Hadin. Excuse me, it basically means that when it comes to the commandments of the Torah, we do them with our heart rather than just, that's what we do, okay? I mean, it's, it's sort of like prayer, we have liturgical prayer at our, at our synagogue, okay? We've, I've got a prayer book right here, okay? We can open it up and say a bunch of words, and it mean nothing. Or we can read it and let it penetrate our hearts and come out of our mouth as praise. That's the difference. There's nothing about written prayers. There is a problem with any kind of prayer, even spontaneous prayer, when it doesn't come from a heart. I mean, I grew up, saying uh, spontaneous prayers all the time, but they were just as rote as what was in a book a lot of times, okay? So it's, it's all about our heart and where, where, where it is. So we have to go beyond the letter of the law. There's a rabbi named Rabbi Bunham who I have a, um, a collection of his uh, teachings on Perkei Avot, I love, that he, he explains it this way. Knowledge and strict observance of the Torah is not the be-all and the end-all, okay? the true chasid, the devoted one, the devout one, is one whose profound piety carries him above and beyond the strict letter of the law. If he has the slightest doubt that he may be wrong uh, or that his potential claim is questionable, he will give his fellow man the benefit of the doubt rather than using his rights aggressively. Okay, this is one example he gives. It sounds like something Yeshua said. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, right? He goes into this whole thing about forgiving and and everything where he's not overriding the Torah, but he's saying, you know, the Torah gives you these parameters to press charges or whatever and demand your rights. He said, but why don't we go above the letter of the law to the spirit of the law? That law was given so that he would take responsibility for his wrongs, not you forcing him to. And so you give him some leeway to allow Hashem to do what he wants in him, okay? Um, The spirit of the law is not what most of Christianity believes it to be. The standard definition is that living by the spirit of the law means that The literal fulfilling of the law is not necessary, of the Torah is not necessary, and it should not even be attempted. That's the general definition we hear all the time from, sadly, within the church. But we know that the spirit of the law is not the negation of the law, negation of the Torah, nor is the spirit of the Torah, I mean, excuse me, the spirit of the law, the spirit of the Torah, the spiritualization of the law or the Torah. Somebody who lives by the spirit of the law first fulfills the literal commandment and then goes beyond what the law requires in order to achieve, to achieve something greater. Let me give you an example of this. There's a, there's a story from the Talmud uh, about Reb Hanan and his son, okay? Reb Hanan's son, Rabbah, hired a few day laborers to move some barrels of wine. While working, they accidentally dropped a barrel, which broke, and the wine spilled onto the ground, Okay? To punish them, Rabbah confiscated their coats. The workers went to Rob, his father, to complain about were, the way they were being treated. After listening to the complaint, the great sage advised his son to return the men's coats. But Rabbah pr- protested, Isn't this what the law would, re- would require? isn't this the way the law would rule? Wouldn't it rule in my favor here because they were guilty of damaging my property? His father said, do this in spite of the law and give the coats back to them and follow the path of goodness. He gave them their coats back and the men said, look, we're only poor laborers. We worked an entire day and we have families to support. Are you not gonna pay us? Rabbah didn't want to pay his his workers because he'd already lost money on them, right? His father said, you go and pay them. Again, he says, well, what does the law require? He said, it doesn't matter. Do this in spite of the law. Maintain the way of righteousness, my son, and do not expect to always find life according to the letter of the law. Understand that the spirit of justice is often of greater value. Pay your workers. We have an amazing community here at Nachimu'ami. I want to emphasize that again. We have genuine love for one another. We have a beautiful synagogue. Look around. Beautiful. You know how many messianic congregations are privileged to have something like this? Very few. Very few. Okay? We have an amazingly beautiful ark that houses not one, not two, but do I hear three? (laughs) Three safer Torahs, Torah scrolls. That's unheard of in a Messianic synagogue. We enjoy traditional Jewish prayer on Shabbat mornings. We enjoy a Torah service, wonderful music, mature, thought provoking teachings followed by communal oneg, and hours of additional teaching and study for those who want to continue feeding their hungry souls. We have our men's group, where we enjoy hanging out together and studying how to be better husbands. We have men's prayer midweek on Wednesday mornings. We have our women's group. We have Tikva Tea. We have women coming together to connect and feed their souls. We celebrate the festivals together with genuine joy and enthusiasm. We enjoy special events and fun times like what's well, coming up next weekend, Dogba Omer, Fish of the Omer. We're going to have a big fish fry and remember the Master's resurrection. We have a summer camp to bless our children with and give them something special that will impact their lives. In short, Nachemu'ami is an incredible place to be. But there are Messianic communities all over the country, all over the world that don't have these luxuries. And even with that, they have their own problems. Some of them, some that I'm in very close relationship right now, are teetering on the brink of collapse. Okay, They have internal conflict and strife. Because people don't know what it means to go beyond the letter of the law. They don't heed our master's instructions to love our neighbor, to forgive others' trespasses, and to treat others the way they want to be treated. They want to be right. They want to to undermine, undermine and disrespect leadership. They want to follow in the footsteps of Korach and his rebellion. And where does all this nonsense begin, this destructive behavior begin, first of all, it begins in the mind, but then where does it come out? It comes out on our tongues, right? And this, as you know, is called Lashan Hora, or Lashan Hora, evil speech, slander, and its counterpart, Rechilut, which is gossip. Psalm 120 compares these to flaming arrows, Okay. Psalm 122 through four says, "Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful, deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Tongue, a warrior's, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the b- broom tree." James, the brother of our master, had something similar to say. You guys are well aware of this. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, sustaining the whole body, but setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell itself. Not good. The Midrash expounds on this concept of our words being like arrows. Okay? It says this, Of all other weapons that strike from close quarters, like a sword or dagger or whatever, <clears throat> arrows can strike at a distance. So it is with slander. It's spoken in Rome. And it kills in Syria. All other coals, when extinguished, are extinguished on the outside and on the inside. Once you put it out, it's gone. But coals of broom, this is the type of coals that this passage in Psalm talks about, being a words like coals of broom, are still burning inside when they're extinguished on the outside. So it is with words of slander. Even after it seems that their effects have, not been, uh, uh, have been put out, they continue to smolder within those who hear them. They say that slander and gossip kill three people. Kills the person speaking, the person listening, and the person that's being talked about. All of us suffer. Nothing comes of it. Nothing good comes of it. But, our sages teach us that, you know what? Lashinhara and Hara and Rihilut are even worse than a sword. Why? Because a person who unsheathes a sword can relent and put it back in its sheath. But since words are like arrows, once you release that arrow, there ain't no going back. It's gone. And it's going to find its target. <clears throat> the Baal Shem Tov told a story that you're going to find familiar. Um, actually, it's a, it's a story about his life, not a story he told, but <clears throat> it's going to sound very similar to one of our master's teachings. I want you guys to listen to this. The Baal Shem Tov once instructed several of his disciples to embark on a journey. <clears throat> The Hasidic leader did not tell them where to go, nor did they ask. They allowed divine providence to direct their wagon where it might, confident that the destination and purpose of the trip would be revealed in due time. After traveling for several hours, they stopped at a wayside inn to eat and to rest. Now, the Baal Shem disciples were pious Jews who insisted on the highest standards of kashrut. This is the highest form of kosher, Okay. When they learned that their host at this inn planned to serve them meat in their meal, it was a Jewish inn, <clears throat> they asked to see the shokhet, the, basically the butcher, the ritual slaughter. They interrogated him as to his knowledge and his piety, his religious observance, and examined his knife for any possible tiny flaws. Okay? Their discussion of kashrut and its standard of the food continued throughout the meal as they inquired after the source of every single ingredient in the dish. As they spoke and ate, a voice emerged from behind the oven where an old beggar was resting amid the bundles. "'Dear Jews,' he called out, "'are you as careful with what comes out of your mouth "'as what enters into it?' "'Does that sound familiar?' The party of Hasidim concluded their meal in silence. They climbed into the wagon and turned it back towards their uh, place of origin. They now understood the purpose for which the Rebbe had dispatched them on their journey that morning. They learned their lesson. Yeshua in Mark 7 Taught his disciples, hear me all of you and understand, there's nothing outside of a person that can go into him and defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left, the people, his disciples came and asked him about his teaching, his parable. And he said to them, are you also without understanding? Don't you get what I'm trying to say? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? We're not talking about clean and unclean meats here in this situation. We're talking about eating bread, which is clean, with unwashed hands. So this is the level of, of things that we're talking about. <clears throat> it says, since it enters not into his heart, but it, his stomach, and then is expelled. And then we have certain translations that translate this one phrase, unfortunately, as, and thus he declared all foods clean. But that's not what it says. It says, thus purging all foods It's the process. He goes into the stomach and out into the latrine. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. Yeshua also taught us the good Person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Whatever is in us, it's going to come out. I, I teach my children this principle by saying, hey, if you've got a glass of orange juice and you're walking along, somebody jostles you, bumps into you, what's going to come out of the glass? Is it going to be coffee? It's going to be milk, water, tea. They're like, no, orange juice, duh. <laughs> That's because what's in you is going to come out when it's jostled. And unfortunately, we all find out the hard way what's in us. We may not even know until we're jostled. <clears throat> We cannot claim to be an oasis and yet only contain bitter waters. As our master has said, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I've said it two or three times now already. Our community is amazing. My challenge to you is this. We need to be working hard to make sure it stays amazing. Okay? I don't have any red flags at all. I just know that the enemy doesn't like this going on, what we have. The enemy doesn't know, he, he doesn't like it when people are genuinely loving each other and upholding both the Torah and Yeshua because his kingdom is in jeopardy. It tells him that the Messianic kingdom is approaching and that doesn't bode well for him. When we go beyond the letter of the law and hold our tongue, even when we feel like we have the right to defend ourselves, or when we refuse to demand our full rights, or we let somebody else take credit for what we did, or we refuse to engage in an argument, <clears throat> these things will produce a community that can weather the storms of life throughout all of the difficult times that are ahead. And these times are surely ahead. They always are. But we have to be prepared ahead of time and not just deal with them as they show up. So I want to leave you with a reminder of some beautiful words from our apostle, Apostle Paul, you're very familiar with, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not boast or envy, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it is not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For when I was a child I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now I know in part then I shall know fully even as I am fully known so now faith hope and love abide these three things but the greatest of these is what love amen Shabbat Shalom love you guys
0: we hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nahumu Ami by visiting our website at www.MaconMessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.